Hi, this is Dick Cavett, and guess what? You're listening to WGN Radio. I wouldn't kid you. And I looked up at the monitor, and I saw, I mean, I mean the prompter thing that was rolling, and told me to get ready to bring on Elmer Bursby, the ant expert. And instead of saying, my next guest is an ant expert, I said, um, okay, Cavett, you're back, go. No show is complete without an ant expert. <laughs> and that got my first big laugh ever, and I, I cherish it to this day. <laughs> Hey, this is Michael with WGN Radio here in Chicago, and I'm sitting down with my good friend Dick and Rob. It's good to see you both. How's South by Southwest going today? Today is the big day for us. The movie premieres tonight, and uh, we're pretty excited about it. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, I didn't realize it was tonight, but uh, I'm very happy to know that it is because uh, I, I, I can get jet lag from walking across the street. So I'm here from New York having missed a snowstorm of 21 inches by inches. I'm sorry I missed it, but I'm glad to be here. Speaking of snow and maybe some warmer feelings, Mr. Cavett, I heard that you're going to be selling your house in Montauk, and I I know that that's a very close memory that you had, a lot of warm memories from there, and I was wondering, what are some of the warm memories that you had from that place? And I know it had a great connection to your your heart. What would be your definition of a warm memory? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something that makes you happy when you're feeling blue, something you look back and you think, oh, oh that was a good time. I, 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 wait, 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 I thought of one, and yeah, I gotta, I'm sorry to interrupt you like that, but <laughs> I, okay. I, I don't want to let it slip from my malleable mind. Um, Muhammad Ali, you know, the famous mm-hmm. fighter, uh, he stayed in my house one night in Montauk, and that was the best night there, I think, of all the wonderful people who had been there. Uh, he was... Uh, the least likely, I suppose. He was shooting a documentary. I knew him because he'd been on my show, of course I knew him. And, he was, and we had become really good friends. I, I, that's a kind of mysterious aspect of my life. Uh, uh, is there something with bro in it that uh, is used as an expression for uh, bromance? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was shooting a documentary out there and they're having a terrible time with him and he wouldn't talk and he wouldn't listen and he just stood on a cliff and looked out to the sea and they sent me over to see if I could do any good. Mm-hmm. And I did. Uh, the minute he saw me, he changed totally from depression, um, so it can't have been the real thing, mm-hmm. but he, uh, he, he just brightened up and they said, Jesus, what the power you have over him. He's just fine now. And at, when that was overshooting, uh, I said, why don't you stay at my house? It's just down the road. And he said, all right, but I don't think my mother will ever believe me if I stayed in Dick Cabot's house. So uh, I, I took him there, put him in a big, the big bed. I figured three-time heavyweight champion you want a big bed mm-hmm. for. And went to get his wife from the motel. And while I was gone, the phone rang. It was my wife calling from New York. And she heard, uh, hello, and said, darling? And he said, this ain't darling. It's the only three-time heavyweight champion in the world, and I'm lying in your bed, and I'm watching your TV. And she 
was hip enough, fortunately, to say, well, Mr. Ali, <laughs> I will uh, see that a plaque is put on that bed. <laughs> which is more than she ever offered for me but anyway <laughs> that's so great so let's talk a little bit about that connection to muhammad ali you have the new film coming out ali cavett the tale of the tapes i'm looking at this gorgeous poster you have right here you have this this intrinsic ability to connect with people how did this relationship come to be it seems a little bit out of the ordinary you and well, ali not so much really when you think of it our backgrounds were almost exactly the same <laughs> and uh, I just thought, here's a brother. Uh, no, but but uh, seriously, folks, um, I I don't know. But it was like we we hit it off. An old expression. Do they still say that? We we clicked in some way. We bonded strongly. Uh, and all these f dumb phrases don't describe it at all. Of course. But we just, uh, I think whenever we thought of each other, we grinned. And whenever we saw each other, we laughed and had a good time. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, well, it's pretty hard not to not only have admiration, and, but affection for this incredible, oh Lord, what's his name he uses that word? This fantastic, that's another one, this meeting with a person who is so profoundly brilliant in his physical way, in his mental way, uh, and uh, just everything you wanted somebody is in him. Mm -hmm. uh, but though I know other people who have those too, except for three-time heavyweight, you know. Uh, but um, it, it's something special, just two soul brothers, I guess. I don't want to get too corny about it. It sounds like a deep romance, and uh, um, I, I don't want to mislead anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that, and it really shows through on the uh, the trailers that I watched, and it's it's just a cool, a cool coming together. Mr. Batter, you're directing the film. What made you want to take this kind of film on? Well, I work with the Cavett Show archives, and I looked at all these Ali shows, and I thought there was something really special and unique about their interplay and their relationship. And then in 2012, Dick wrote a couple of columns about his friendship with Ali, and that sort of was the last push I needed to get started on it. And I just think there's something really unusual about when their friendship happened and just who these two guys were, and also what Ali was going through at the time when they started doing all these interviews. For him to evolve from the guy who first came on yeah, as a proponent of the Nation of Islam, having just lost his title, going through the Supreme Court situation with, you know, trying to get his boxing license back, stay out of jail. He wasn't getting a lot of media opportunity, and the Cavett Show gave him a pretty wide open forum, and Dick gave him a pretty fair shake, which I think might have helped form the friendship. I think Ali was pleasantly surprised that here's a guy who's letting me say this stuff, and he's not fighting me and arguing about it. He's letting me say my piece, and we're having a good discussion. I think those early shows helped form what would become a really warm friendship. It's fun to watch that evolve as you watch the interviews go deeper and deeper. Yeah, I, it's it's so cool because I was a little bit young when your when your TV show was on. Uh, younger, <laughs> no, I, I don't think I was born just yet. But I go back and I watch, and I'm you know my dad and I we would speak about it all the time. WGN Radio has a great connection with you as well. Your show is mentioned many times because we have we have a listenership which is. Uh, which is, you know, from that from that age. Proper, 
perfect age. The yeah. perfect age. The per- <laughs> People remember the 60s and 70s, listen to WGN. Yes. <laughs> That's a great soundbite, by the way. That's Feel free to use it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, looking back, I saw the, just this great connection you had with uh, your guests, where you didn't interview them, you had more of a conversation with them. And I myself tried to... I'm patting you on the shoulder for saying that, because it's strange. Um, Jack Parr... Now, do you have to Google that name? To, you know, <laughs> I, I know a little bit about him. Yeah. He was star of The Tonight Show, and I wrote for him. And uh, later had him on my show, and we remained friends till he died. But um, he called me just before my first show on ABC, a day or two before. And he said, kid, whatever you do, and I'm eagerly listening, uh, whatever you do, don't do interviews. And I thought, what, what's left? Singing, uh, reading to the guests, uh, uh, wrestling, uh, arm wrestling. And he said, no, no, just don't do interviews. That's Q&A. And what's your favorite this? And uh, David Frost falling asleep in front of his clipboard. And uh, just, just don't do interviews. Make it a conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the best advice you can get. Yeah, and Jack Parr gave you that inf- that, uh, yeah, that advice. Yeah, great Jack Parr. And at first I had to remember it and not get too stuck to my notes, you know, and uh, that always looks bad. <laughs> yes, because you want to make the connection that you have, and there's no way that you can get to the nitty-gritty of, of what the person's about unless you get to know them. Yeah. How, did you, how did you make that initial connection? How did you make the, the interviewee feel warm? and be able to to speak to you in, in a more open fashion is there any secrets or i don't know you know people uh, feel i'm shunning them or so, cheating them when i don't have a good answer for that because uh, uh i guess i maybe i don't think in those terms and yet i've been asked about it so much i do know one thing that finally hit me i would have hit a smarter person even sooner uh i had done talk shows as a guest a good bit before I ever hosted one. Never dreamed of hosting one, never wanted to in the sense that it just never seemed like anything within the realm of possibility. But uh, I I, I just, uh, I had been a guest so I knew how it felt to sit there and have the host maybe stumble for a moment or, uh, and, and as a guest you could bail him out uh, you could tell when they were uncomfortable with things they were trying to bring up and word and I would word it for them and uh, this all sounds very condescending but it, it, it's true there's a lot you can learn from having done the thing that you are later going to do to other people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's not a sex reference <laughs> I, I like that. I like that a lot. And Mr. Batter, did you see that coming through with his interviews? Because you know, I'm sure, the most extensively about Mr. Kevitt's career and everything. There's so nothing that Bader hasn't seen come true. <laughs> I've seen probably more episodes of the Dick Cavett Show than anyone else. I've spent a lot of time working on that archive. And the Ali stuff is very, very different. I mean, he's great with a lot of guests. He really has this this thing where he, he seems very interested in the person, whether it's you know, someone like Ronald Reagan or whether it's the ant expert. Equal interest. Cavett really wants to know what's going on with this guy. 
no matter who it is. And that's mm-hmm. what I think makes it really work. And it's not to say that Ronald Reagan's more interesting than the ant expert. On any given day, Elmer Bursby might be the best guest you had. But there's a respect and an honesty there where he seems so interested in whatever the person has been brought on the show to talk about. And it's not like he's falling asleep while the guy's answering and just going to his next question. It's reactive. When the guy says something that he didn't know was coming, the next question builds on that. And I think that's what makes the show so different than the other talk shows. Speaking of that, Elmer Bursby, is that the ant guy? That's expert, yes. Isn't that the perfect uh, James Thurber name for a character? <laughs> this is when I first thought I might be able to hack this job. It was either the first or second day, and I was still pretty stiff. He was a nice old fellow. He was a, a real ant expert. And he had those frames, you know, that are white sand inside. They're flat, and the ants have made their tunnels in them, and they're, you get to love your ants. And um, Don't give it all away. He's our next film. Oh, oh wait, okay, never mind. An introspective look into you. Yeah. Elmer Bursby, the ant man. <laughs> so... So that's really funny because looking back on your career and you've spoken to so many, the most amazing people like of all time, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, you talked to Jimi Hendrix and all these guys, and then the Ann expert. What is it about bringing this kind of person like Jimi Hendrix and humanizing him? Did I? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I, I remember thinking I, I won't come off well with Hendrix because... Uh, Unlike Ali and me, we don't have the same background as Jimi Hendrix, uh, frivolously, folks, again. I, I just, um, I thought I would love to make Hendrix laugh. And uh, here he is sitting in his sort of flouncy blue silk, silk shirt and uh, ribbon for a belt, and I don't know what he had the waist down on. And I thought, well, here's two things. I thought um, half the uh, rednecks in the audience are thinking, who's this with his uh, guitar? And so I made a point of saying, asking him a question that he had to answer, having been a member of the 110th Airborne Division Parachute Squad. And he, was in, he was in the Parachute Squad? Yeah, okay. he was a par- big parachuter. And uh, I could see people gasp. Yeah. What's Cabot crazy? Look at what he. And then the other thing was, um, I just said, kind of having run out of things to say for the mere moment, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I said, uh, Would you like to. Uh, you, you get up in the morning and really try to get some work done and each day and so on. Mm-hmm. And he said, I try to get up in the morning. <laughs> big big laugh I think we became buddies with that laugh <laughs> I love that and I'm, I'm so excited to see the film Ali and Cavett Tale of the Tapes now Muhammad Ali he was an outspoken guy I guess you could say that fair to say and he had a great phrase fight like a butterfly sting like a bee do you have a catchphrase yourself uh, I, I use that one most of the time <laughs> yeah. because there are so many young people today who don't know uh, what a butterfly is that uh, uh, I, I just um, I used to know who invented that phrase 
uh, for him, really. It was somebody who was with him, a trainer, maybe? I think Bundini Brown Bundini. came up with float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah. And they used to just say it together and like just kind of do a dance or something. There was a really theatrical little bit they did for all the reporters at training camp. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's a wonderful phrase. Um, and you can pretty much figure someone's age by asking them, do you know what this means? <laughs> <laughs> You've lived such an extremely important life, and I'm sure you get this all the time. But what would you want to tell your younger self about this extraordinary experience in life that you're going to be, be living? Is there any advice you'd give to yourself when you were younger? Wow. I, seem, I feel like my younger self. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you get to watch your younger self on television, though. Like hell. Uh, yeah, I do. I, Mr. Bader reminds me of this, that uh, uh, I have the, a unique position in life of being able to see my life decades earlier. And it's me. It, it is I. Uh, and I don't see any difference in my appearance. Between <laughs> and in, uh, Different hairstyles, at least. Sometimes that's painful, because there will be a shot of me and I am so gorgeous in it, you know, it could just eat me up with a spoon. And uh, then I go upstairs and look in the mirror, and the uh, face of the late Maria Uspenskaya looks back at me <laughs> from the mirror, and uh, that's hard. But uh, s- seriously, oddly, often I will sit there watching me and, uh, let's say, Sidney Poitier or... And a strange thought will be, I would love to meet him or have met him. Wait a minute. There we are together. I did. I'm not even sure if before I watched that show on on, uh, on, on Decades recently, um, I would have been able to answer the question, did you ever have him on? But you will find that happens. Um, you forget guests. One night I was on Johnny's show, and during the break, when he had the band play loud so he didn't have to talk to the guests during the breaks, uh, he gave Doc a shush a little to blow it down. He said, Richard, did you ever um, forget your guests? And I said, oh, well, yeah, after, after there have been 500 of them, you start. No, no, I mean that night. And he kind of drew his fingers over his across his forehead and like uh, 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 worry and uh, sweat and I, I said I'm not sure how you mean he said well I went home the other night I kind of do his voice don't I I, uh, I went home the other night and um, the doorman said uh, who'd you have on tonight Mr. Carson and I said uh, the other had an Irish doorman um, we, well we had we have you know we always have four guests we had um, uh, Jesus, uh, and he said, and I couldn't think of any of them of the four. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I didn't see anything. I couldn't think of any of the guests, and I liked him so much, and I wanted him to feel good. And this was true. I said uh, I had a case of that. I went home from one of my ninety-minute shows. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, uh, "How'd it go?" I said, okay, and they said, who was it? And I said, oh, I, oh my God, they sat right there. Um, uh, and, and you'll admit I have some excuse because it was the semi-known 
a fairly obscure name, Lucille Ball. Oh, jeez. And I felt <laughs> awful. And Johnny felt better. <laughs> he really felt better. What a great, what a great life! What a great story! Well, it has to do with the fact that the one, the you that does the show is certainly the not you of real life. Mm-hmm. You know, you go on, you you sort of do your act as a talk show host, and uh, other people I've talked to said the same thing. Um, and actors forget lines in the play they're in on Broadway, and I used to love that. It must have happened, let's say, four times. Uh, I would say to the great Maureen Stapleton, let's say, or Eli Wallach, uh, and they'd be telling a story and they'd say, so I, I walk into the bar and I say, um, uh, I say, um, uh, what the hell do I say? <laughs> they just did it. They, they were going to do it that night and it's been running on it for months on Broadway. But out of the context, they're not that same person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have a different part of your brain available to you or something. Mm-hmm. Um, That's very interesting. Yeah. You know, because you are, you're playing a part almost. I told Brando once about being depressed and um, doing a show and struggling through it. And I just wanted to be home and under the bed or the rug if you've ever had real depression. And I thought, Laurence Olivier is in the next room and I don't give a damn. I just want to go home. Laurence Olivier. I'd already done a show with him in London. And I, in the middle of this thing, I thought, I don't know what the cue cards mean now. I've tried to read that one three times. Uh, and, and then I'd burble out something, it seemed like, and wonder. I felt that they would come over in a moment and say, well, Dick, we're going to wrap this one for now and we'll you know, re- redo it to get Lord Olivier back. And I thought, I can't do that. And I got through the 30-minute show. I was telling Brando this. He said, how did it look? I said, I've never been able to come near looking at it. And he said, well, do me a favor. Take a look at it. And I said, how do you mean? He said, just take a look at it. Tell me what you thought. So for Marlon, <laughs> I had to do this favor. I was fine. I looked okay. I looked alive. Uh, I looked interested. I didn't have eight second pauses between their speaking and mine. The next time I was in his house, I actually sitting in the same place where he asked me the question. I said, um, by the way, about that... Uh, I, I looked okay. It didn't look worse than any other show. I've done shows that did, but it didn't, and I was so deep, I thought they were going to haul me away. What is that? And he said, um, we call it automatic pilot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get it as an accident, too. You just switch into automatic pilot or something switches you. Okay. <laughs> That is, so, uh, you know, I could spend so much time talking to you guys. This has been know, such a pleasure. If you could, I would tell you how Marlon broke Ron Galella, the paparazzo's jaw, four inches from my face in Chinatown. But we'll save that for next time. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect tease. Well, we have to get you guys back on WGN Radio very soon. Thank you so much for joining us. And go and check out Ali and Cavett, The Tale of the Tapes. Thanks a lot for having us. Do it. You wouldn't be sorry. Mm-hmm.